mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 111 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. We are powered by Audio Technica, and I'm your host, John Peck, here with one of the most interesting interviews that I've ever done. Today's guest, Ronan Leonard, is a survivor of the MTS Oceanos cruise ship, which sank off the coast of South Africa in 1991. Ronan reached out to me to talk about the work he's doing now, essentially using his years of experience in small business, which I'll get into, uh, to advise others on how they can unlock their potential through something he calls return on intellect. It's part of the mastermind theory that involves working with a team of people to find the best possible business solution. It sounds very corporate-y, but it's actually very practical advice that anyone can take on board. So that's all very fascinating, but I wanted to start off with this story of the shipwreck. For people who don't know, it's an amazing story. The cruise ship with at least 400 passengers on it started to sink when it lost power in some pretty topsy-turvy waters. The captain abandoned the ship with some of the crew without putting any kind of alarm or warning signal to the passengers and the majority of the staff on board. And it's a spectacular story of how entertainers and staff from the ship the guitarist Moss Hill, a magician, people like Ronan were involved in radioing for help, stepping up because the captain was gone, evacuating passengers into lifeboats and eventually rescue helicopters and not a single person drowned in those shark infested waters. Thanks to the efforts of these people, these staff members, Ronan was working in the gift shop. So he really stepped up and that experience, it was interesting to discuss taught him so much that he could apply to his career choices from there forward, which we will soon discuss. So here is Ronan Leonard to talk about surviving the Oceanos sinking and how you can unlock your return on intellect in whatever business and creative projects you choose to pursue. Sounds good? Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Ronan. It's great to have you on the podcast. How are you going? I'm very well, Jono. How are you today? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good over here. Uh, we are both in the same part of the world. It's been pretty nice weather lately, but it's always kind of unpredictable. But we don't let it dictate our moods too much, hey? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> create your own environment and your own vibe. That's it. So most of my listeners, I imagine, won't be overly familiar with you at all. So maybe we can start off with you giving us a bit of a rundown on who you are, where you've come from, and, and what you've been up to lately. Sure. My name is Ronan Leonard. I'm originally from the UK, half Welsh, half Irish, born in England. So I'm very, very British. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I met my lovely Australian wife on cruise ships 20 years ago. And she convinced me to come and settle in the amazing place, which is Melbourne, Australia. So I now live here in, in beautiful Australia. Fantastic. And as far as work goes? I have a business that I've based around an idea called Return on Intellect. So what I do is I help subject matter experts who are stuck delivering in just one mode. They become stuck in their expertise. So trainers train, cooks cook, and accountants account. But the true sort of niche experts are able to think past that and get a bit of return on intellect. I've got 15, 20 years experience. So they package that up and they train other people. So they they give forward, but they also share their expertise. And I help them find that sweet spot and package that up so that they deliver more return on intellect, I call it. Mm, okay. So is this a form of business coaching, would you say? It's based around the mastermind concept, which if you've, most people won't have heard of that. 
it's this idea of adding some context to content because we're overwhelmed with content at the moment. You know, content mm. has been commoditized. It's free, it's everywhere. But businesses are failing at a higher rate than they were 30 years ago. So clearly it's not information. We don't need more information. What we do need is context. We need to understand how to apply that. We need a little bit of structure in our day and a bit more accountability. Because the reality is that most small business owners, they go and start their own business because they want this freedom. And yet the reality is the exact opposite. You need incredible discipline to be able to work on the stuff that you don't want to work on and not get stuck in the easy easy stuff that it feels like you're busy but you're not productive hmm. so this is a a way of creating it's called a super mind and it's based on a book by napoleon hill in the 1930s where he said when two or more people come together in the purpose of another outcome they create this super mind almost like a mastermind uh-huh. so it is this collaboration and this this joint learning that you're not learning in isolation that you have access to the person that curated the content and you're learning with with other people so that you all create these aha light bulb moments that makes sense so is, is this something that's done one-on-one or do you kind of lead seminars and and workshops for this so i, I lead groups i put people into masterminds and help them grow their business but i also as i said unpick the expert that says I've got all this knowledge how do i then create that better return on intellect and how do yeah. I uh, package that up and teach it to other people that want what what I have or which part of that? Sure. Okay. So every superhero has an origin story. And I think that uh, you probably have one too, Raynan. And <laughs> you mentioned meeting your wife on a cruise ship. So it strikes me as interesting that you continue to, to jump on, on these ships and work on these ships even after such a disaster that you're involved with, with the Oceanos. Is that how it's pronounced? That's correct. Yes, yes. Yes. So that must have been uh, what almost thirty years ago now. Do you want to take us back to that event? And uh, I guess we can talk about your um, experience there because it's such a fascinating and unbelievable thing that's taken place. It's a moment in history. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in how that's affected your perspective and things that you've done since then. So let's go all the way back to 1991. Yes, well, I got this job on cruise ships and I'd only been on the ship about eight weeks. It sailed from Greece and we were in South Africa, middle of winter, huge swells. They don't call it the wild coast for nothing. And Mm. the two oceans meet, the Indian and the Atlantic Ocean meet. So there's huge swells, 100 mile an hour, 160 kilometer hour winds, 60 foot swells. And in the middle of the night, we lost power and we started sinking. But we didn't know this because uh, most of the senior officers and crew didn't follow the standard procedures on ships. So they abandoned their posts. They didn't do all of the the safety procedures that are now common knowledge on on most ships. Mm. So it was this incredible 24, probably about 18 hours of not knowing what's going on, not having really any of the training, and yet still, as a, at the time I worked in the gift shop, one of the lowest paid people on the ship, hmm. and yet I was there putting people into lifeboats. And when the helicopters came first thing in the morning, I'm helping winch people up and get people into these little Zodiacs. And, and this whole scenario of me helping rescue over 600 people without any kind of formal training or really knowing what I was doing. Mm. So there must have been a, a moment of panic 
when you realized the crew and the captain especially had just left, right? What was it like to be amongst the other staff members and trying to decipher the best way to go ahead? Well, for me, there was, from my point, there was no panic. Obviously, the, a lot of the the crew and the senior officers panicked. I don't know why it was. I just decided that I needed to help people and that's what I, what I did. I mean, I remember, lucky enough, because nobody died, because we sunk so slowly, as I said, it took probably about 18 hours, because we sunk so slowly, we were able to have the helicopters come and rescue us in the morning. Without that, there would have been a lot of fatalities. There's shark-infested waters, there was enough lifeboats, there was nowhere else for us to go. And although we were only about two kilometres from shore and we could sort of see it, in that sort of weather, no one can get near you to, to really help you. But... For whatever reason, it's probably intrinsic. I didn't, I didn't panic, and I can't explain it, and I can't say um, I'm better than someone else or or not. It was just one of those things that this happened, and you deal with it. I'm a probably pragmatic person that probably helped, <laughs> and and I just got on with it. And and because I did, and because I didn't panic, I remember all the funny things that happened. So for years, I've told these great stories and and parties. And even when I met my wife, because I continued to go on cruise ships for seven, eight years later, we met on this one ship and and we agreed to join a a second ship. This was just before we got engaged. And she joined four weeks before me. And then she called me up from, she called me up from San Diego and I was back in the UK and I was joining the ship four weeks after her, just just the timing issue. And she said, I watched this safety video because the the ships now show you not what to do and how things can go wrong and they show the oceanas and she said there's this guy that just like you you know helping these people on the up to, to winch up the helicopter i said yeah that was me and she said well, why didn't i know this i said well it just never came up so yeah it, it taught me a huge life lesson though in the fact that i think even more so than than ever we we have this cognitive ease where we see someone on TV, a celebrity, or somebody's got a big fancy title, CEO, or in my case, the captain. Mm. And we automatically defer both our, uh, sometimes our knowledge, but certainly we just defer to them and think, well, they're far superior than us. Mm. And, and, and when the captain abandoned his position, as, as did most of the, the senior officers, you know, I'm talking. I'm talking. The person on the bridge was the band leader, and they said, "What's your position?" He said, "Well, I'm the band leader." And he, so he was doing the May Day, and he had no idea what he was doing. That's yeah. how. That's how bizarre it was. But it taught me to, to to question authority a little bit more and not take things too superficially and say, "Okay, what well, is that really true? Or why? Why is that?" So it gave me a healthy dose of skepticism about people who we think are. Uh, possibly not what they are if that makes sense yeah i think it yeah you make a good point like we put people on a pedestal as you know that that's the director that's the ceo that's the you know head of that department so i'll leave it to them and i'll just you know whatever they suggest must be the best way to do things but if you look at the example of of this ship like you know when things got tough (laughs) it was the magician and the gift shop guy and the guitarist that we know have stepped up and and made things work for the hundreds of passengers on that ship. So you must have been looking around at yourselves and kind of incredulously thinking, is this really happening? <laughs> because it's one of the last things you would expect to go down when you when you are working in a place like that, right? Yes, it 
you know, certainly wasn't on on my radar. And 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 how old it, were you at the time? I was twenty three. You know, yeah. I I was I was still very quite naive and 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 had a had a really sort of yeah this naive view of the world and and what it sort of meant and my own little place in it. So it really was a a, a great learning experience. So it taught me just taught me so much about myself and about others and. And, and just about the way hierarchy of life sometimes work and how it's not always what it seems. Hmm. And uh, I guess most people who've been through that experience might never want to go on the ocean again, but it certainly didn't seem to deter you. Well, you've got to figure that, you know, it doesn't happen that often. So yeah. what, what are the chances? <laughs> that's, very log- that's a very logical, I think you said you're a pragmatic person, but uh, I think most people would develop a a fairly oh, somewhat rational fear after that. <laughs> yes and no, I, I think... There, there's a there's the glass half full there's a glass half empty and, and there is always two ways of looking at, at at everything and and you can be defined by experiences or you can be shaped by them or you can choose to to look at almost any situation from from a different perspective and mm. and and just say well okay well that happened chances of happened again are incredibly slim and let's let's move on and and, and let's not miss the opportunity of, of seeing the world mm. um you know I've, I've i've worked with so many small business owners and and what i see all the time is that our desires on the other side of our fears and we say to ourselves everything from i could never be a public speaker or i could never do this i could never run my own business and then the second people try it they then go it was nowhere near as bad as i thought uh, and, and it's that inflection point of when you're desire is stronger than your fear you'll try something and then you'll realize that all the demons in your head and all these these doubts you had most of them are in are in unfounded and nowhere near as bad as you thought yeah it's interesting like i think about this event like i had actually heard of this before you contacted me and i i think i told you i heard someone in a church sermon use this as an illustration of whatever the lesson was that they were teaching that day talking about i guess how moss was it Moss Hill, the guitarist who yes. they say he led the charge and kind of stepped up and made those radio calls. But um, yeah, so I hear about this story and think of it as this huge event, a defining event, but the way you talk about it, it almost sounds like it's just something that happened in your life and it's not, it hasn't formed your identity in any way. Certainly not in a negative way, in, mm. in a positive way. Yeah, I've taken yeah. some great inspiration from it and... Yes, I've mainly used it for for party anecdotes, but yeah. <laughs> on my quiet moments of reflection and and what's my place in the world and and what am I good at? And certainly, I used to run an events business, and as I transitioned to this business of helping small business owners unpack their return on intellect and and help them achieve more in their businesses, it's tapped into a, a skill that I've always had. And yeah. for anybody that's looking to start their own business. It's not necessarily about your passion. We're, we're told at the moment, oh, you know, follow your passion, blah, blah, which is, to a certain extent, is great. But for people that, that have a passion about something, you can reach a point where if you could do it for money, then you lose that passion. But certainly your intrinsic values and what you believe in, they are definitely a core for you to say, I want to do more of that, whatever that looks like. And, and, and sometimes you never ever find what your true genius is. Uh, sometimes it needs to be drawn out by others. 
and sometimes it needs some kind of catalyst that is beyond everyone's control that draws out what you hope is the best of you. Yeah, well said, I think. And I can see that that is kind of an attitude that you've been applying to all these ventures you've had since uh, leaving cruise ships and, and being impacted by that incident. So let's talk a bit more about that and uh, I guess how you've applied those lessons of not deferring to authority and taking charge and working outside the box. Like how has, has that experience overall impacted the way that you've gone ahead as an entrepreneur? Well, my first business here in Australia, I, I, I got married and then here in Australia and I, I started working in an office and I hated it. And I, and having, you know, traveled the world and, and had all these experiences, I, there, there's more to life than this. I know there is. So I went to start a, a casino party business. So so for about a year after I went back on ships, I then trained to work in the casino because to me, it was one of the funnest jobs on the ship. You got to to watch all these people gambling, huge interaction with all these people. You never worked in port. So it was, it was apart from the captain who had all that responsibility, it was one of the best <laughs> jobs on the ship. So I came to Australia and I wanted to start a casino party business where people just gambled for fun. So it was all the excitement of the casino without people ever losing any money. Right. And I went to the gaming board and said, look, I want to start this business. And they said, no, no, it's gaming. It's illegal. And I said, no, it's not. Nobody bets any money. Nobody wins anything. It's purely all of the excitement, the entertainment. And they win a $10 trophy at the end. And they said, no, no, it's illegal. And I said, well, I don't believe that. So let's, let's test this. <laughs> so I hired a lawyer and it cost me $3,000. And we went back and forth with the gaming part, gaming board. And the same person who told me, no, no, it's completely illegal. When a lawyer asked him, he said, I can't give you a legal opinion. We're not really sure. <laughs> so I just started it and I ran it for 13 years. And, and the, I had police come to several of my events. I even ran one for the police association. Um, Christine Nixon, ex-police um, yeah. chief, yeah, commissioner here in Australia. She was at one of my events. And again, I had that confidence to say, okay, well, let's push this further and you know tell me which part of it is illegal because to me the definition of gaming is you bet something and you win something and and if that is taken from mm. there it's not gambling so i pushed back and and i suppose in some small way i won yeah i mean it sounds almost like a, a board game or a video game where you know you might have some currency within that but you don't walk away having spent any more than you did at the start of when it commenced right Exactly. Yeah, I had this analogy where I said, okay, so if, if I buy one of those little toy, tiny little plastic roulette wheels you can buy at, at Kmart or in the shops, and because and, they were saying the second you put this gaming table into somewhere, it's in a gaming den, it's an illegal institution. So I said, what if someone puts a toy in, in, in a room, does that make that illegal? I said, it's ridiculous. Mm. You've got you've to look at the intent in the law, and the intent is that you... You stake something to win something. So yeah, I pushed back and I said, look, I'm not taking that as a as a solid answer. Give me true definition. They wouldn't. So I just I just set it up without them. <laughs> That's awesome. And so was it just like a cover charge and then people can do whatever they like? It wasn't even a cover charge. It was purely for entertainment. So it was birthday parties. It was corporate events. Right. So you'd just be hired. There's like a, a higher fee and then they can just use all of the equipment, right? Yeah. That's really cool. And so that business ran for a while and you moved on to something else? I ran that for 13 years and I sold it last year just to concentrate more on, on this next phase of my life, which is the 
as I said, helping entrepreneurs and helping experts um, create that forward paying part of their, their business where they teach others part of their expertise. Sure. So what was it, do you think, through the cruise ship experience, through the uh, casino business that uh, you think prepared you to be giving advice to all different levels of, of business uh, owners? A combination of all of those things. One is sort of a bit of a pushback of, of myself as well on others. Um, mm-hmm. Secondly, 13 years in small business, I made a whole bunch of mistakes because I didn't have any kind of sounding board. And the third one was really about about niching down. So mm. I all I did was casino parties. I wasn't an event manager. I did a whole bunch of other things. And, and I specialized just in one one sort of small niche. So I, I understand the expertise model where you, you're really good at something and, and that's what you do. So it's a culmination of all that experience coming together. And when I created this new ROI, I read it past people and they go, wow, I've never heard of that because Everyone talks about ROI as return on investment and and nobody, and I mean nobody, talks about return on intellect to say, okay, I have all this expertise. I don't think I'm leveraging it to its full potential. Uh, so it's a combination of all that experience has, has led me to, to this point. That's interesting. So in terms of the, I guess, the mastermind concept that you brought up before, is that something that you had been applying to the casino business and I guess other ventures? Because I mean, even even if you bring it down to its, its bare essence, like even back on that cruise ship when you're trying to evacuate this ship, one person, whether it was Moss Hill or whoever, like alone, they may not have been able to accomplish much, but you bring a group of people together to, you know, brainstorm and, and put a plan of attack together. You're going to get more of a reasoned, plan and strategy to to go ahead and make something happen right to a certain extent yes it's it's a that's an interesting question that i I don't think i've ever really answered or even sort of thought about (laughs) one of the things that i look at is that we are better as a tribe we we function as a species better in tribes but definitely in the last 20 30 years with the rise of digital and certainly the the rise of entrepreneurship we're sold this myth of the, the lonely entrepreneur working in isolation in their basement in front of a laptop and, you know, become this creative genius. The reality is the exact opposite, right? So one of my favorite sayings is, there is no secrets. They're just stuff you don't know, right? right. So everyone goes, you know, the seven secrets, the three secrets to that. It's, it's BS. It's just stuff you don't know. And in this more complex world, it's harder and harder for you to stay on top of the latest trends. We become far more specialized. Well, so many people are niching down. You've got people that are that now are no longer marketers. They're just Facebook ads specialists or they're pay-per-click Google specialists or they're even more niche than that, funnels for dentists. We're becoming incredibly niche because everything is more complex. So it's impossible for you to stay on top of all of these latest trends and ideas and, in, and industry. So it makes sense to get five or six people into a, a room or a virtual room that mm. have a decade's worth of experience, all of a sudden you've got 60 years experience. So you can test your assumptions. You can say, look, I, I'm struggling with this. I'm so, oh yeah, I, I did this to overcome it. Oh great, I didn't know that. So the idea of collaborating with other people is what true smart business people do. They collaborate rather than trying to think that they need to figure everything out themselves. And that realization is what sets you free to say, 
I haven't got to be the smartest person in the room or I haven't got to try and figure it all out. I want to just find someone else and, and they can pick my brains, I can pick theirs, we can hold each other accountable and together we can create something better. It's the one plus one equals three effect. Right. Yeah, I, I guess it's like kind of the Socratic method of sitting down and, and figuring out, you know, the, the best result or the best answer to a, a problem. But do you find that some business owners don't have those other people that they can meet around? And, and what's the solution to, say, an individual who, who doesn't have that network being able to go through this process? Is it becoming part of a, a group or talking to friends? Like, what do you advise to those people? Well, you want to surround yourself with people who get your vision, get your passion and and are on board with what you're trying to achieve. Mm. Uh, certainly for entrepreneurs and small business owners, it's it's a difficult conversation if all your friends and family are in the corporate world because there is a completely different mindset. I was at a party a couple of years ago and this woman said to me, she said, I could never do what you do. It must be so difficult and so hard to run your own business and find your own your own clients. Mm. And I said the exact opposite. I'm building a skill set and a resilience that in theory I can always find work. You've spent the last 20 years being employed by somebody and the second that they don't make $20 million that year, maybe your position's very redundant. And do you have the life skills and the adaptability to be able to go out and find your own work i suppose mm. so generate it's, that yeah yeah so you want to surround yourself with people that, that that understand that and and encourage your dreams and not say well oh you'd be better off if you have a job you know it's so much safer which is what the mentality of of, of some people are not everybody obviously but yeah you want to find the people that that really champion you that that are on board with what you're trying to achieve that that really support you because um small business is very very hard. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it and everyone would be winning, and it's not. So you really want to surround yourself with people that, that can help you and to and to encourage you and, and to, to, to motivate you along the way. Sure. So if small business is kind of your niche or your expertise as far as being able to help others, what is the level that you would advise people to reach before they explore these ideas? Are you able to provide this to people who have an idea for a business or is it more people who've established something and they're trying to take it to the next level? I work with people that have already sort of started because there's a different mindset. You Sure. In, in, in masterminds, we call it the plus, minus and equal effect in the fact that I'm sure everyone starting their business said, oh, wouldn't it be great if I was just in, had an hour of, of Richard Branson's time but there's no value exchange because the type of business he runs is on such a level that most of the information he would impart to somebody would be wasted on them and vice versa. They're not going to get it any value. They don't give him any value. So it, it needs to be a value exchange. So entrepreneurs that are starting out on their journey, they want to hang around with people that have just started or just a little bit ahead of yeah. them. And and then they're hitting the same roadblocks at the same time. They're sharing uh, this worked for me. There's a famous quote by Jim Rohn, who's um, an amazing guy, he's passed away now, and, and everyone quotes him with good reason. And he says, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So when you're starting out, you find those hungry five other people around you that, that, that are, as I said, that champion you and that are on that journey with you. And at some stage, you'll grow out of them like you grow out of your friends. You've got friends at school that when you leave school aren't. You've got friends that were at your wedding 
and aren't your friends 10 years later. And, and that's okay. You're not going to have all your friends for life. So you surround yourself with those five people at that point in your life that can help you and you can help them. It's a two-way street. It's not what can I take from everybody? It's how can I help them as well? Yeah. Okay. So I'm interested now in what you would think is the hardest part of getting to the point you're at now, because it sounds like there's been, you know, a quite a progression from, from one business to the next, and none of them have a huge amount of overlap from what it sounds like. So what's been the hardest part of getting to this stage for you? The hardest part for everybody in business and I, and I mean everybody in my experience is is mindset and it's it's one of those things that people say yes yes I know it and then they they dismiss it and basically what happens is that learning doesn't occur until something changes so you can you can watch a TED talk you can read a blog post you can say yeah I know that until you try it and, and, and try and implement it and it might not be right for you it's it's the same with I've tried I, I meditate now for the last four years every single day um, I've got a gratitude journal I do a whole bunch of things that I've heard about several other people doing them and talking about the benefits and rather than just saying yeah, yeah I know that I've actually implemented them and tried them and several I've discarded but that's the key difference is that to, to know something you have to try it it's it's like the famous phrase of um, can you play the piano? And most people will say no. And then and then somebody <laughs> with a growth mindset will say, I don't know. So what do you mean you don't know? So I've never tried it. <laughs> so so that's the difference. You can try it and say, yeah, I suck at it. You know, I've got uh, I've got two left hands. But you have to have tried something before you can then really appreciate what it is, what it means to you. And where it fits in into your skill set or your knowledge or your whether you're interested in it or not. Mm -hmm. Yes, you might very well be the world's greatest pianist and just get to get to sit down and try. <laughs> yeah, and that's where you find your genius zone. That's where you test your your limitations, your assumptions, and and all of those things. All of those things around mindset. And mm. there will be people that would say, "I could never earn a hundred thousand dollars a year. It would be impossible." Or two hundred, or three hundred, whatever that is. It's a mindset they'll bump up against and then you work with other people and go, oh, I did this and I got that and you, you grow and you expand. And probably the best way for me to describe it as an analogy is a little bit like a balloon. And in fact, if you work with other people that are smarter than you, that, are, that have achieved more and that are more risk takers, whatever it is, it's like a balloon. You, you get inflated and, and there'll be days when you doesn't work out and you get deflated, but that balloon is always bigger than when it first started. And that's how you grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Okay. And now usually I would ask people at this point for their advice to any listeners who might want to follow in the same path as, as you, but I feel like you've been dishing out advice all through this episode and it's been really good, but is there anything you haven't said that, uh, that you think is a, a key Thing for people to consider as they go about starting their own business probably the key one really is just to to let go of of your ego and it's and it's hard myself included we we're problem solvers and we automatically think that we we can find a problem and solve it and if we don't we feel dumb but I tell you now that every successful business owner has had so much help along the way there's been mentors they've been paid coaches they've learned from others they've they've bought courses whatever it is they've plugged that knowledge gap rather than thinking that they that they know it all so having 
having slightly less ego to say, I don't know it all. I probably never will. Uh, there are other people out there that can help me. And, and just and just doing that will probably is one of the easiest paths to at least having a really good shot at, at making something out of your life and what you want to do. Right. There's all so much here that it's hard to take it all in, right? And you've, uh, you've certainly got some wisdom to impart from your experience, I'd say. Well, that's the whole point of having lived that life is yeah. that you've, you know, there is there are certain shortcuts that you can mm. you can do. And, and a mastermind is a great for that to a certain point. But there is also you you have to to try and fail, whatever that fail means. You have to learn, yeah. you have to implement and you have to actually do some of this stuff before you can ever know if it's right or wrong for you. So, so yeah, I always test one of these people to see if you say, yeah, I know that. Okay, tell me. Tell me what does it mean to you? And, and that's when people then sort of back off and go, well, no, I just I just heard it seven times in <laughs> on, on a podcast and, and, and I read it somewhere, but I've never actually tried it. So, yeah, try it and, and, then, and then you're able to, to, to see whether it's good for you or not. Yeah, that's right. So speaking of trying and failing, I have two questions left. Uh, the first is if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Oh, I wouldn't fail. Uh, I th- think I would create some kind of huge network of people that were all paying it forward in some small way. In like a teaching educational sense, do you mean? Or yeah, I, I saw a couple of platforms and and they didn't they didn't quite get going where people were were helping others in their expertise and 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 sort of paying it forward and someone else would help them. It's not like a like a barter sort of system for your knowledge mm. uh, because although we are all tapped into the the internet now, I don't think it's really doing what it intended and I don't think it's really making all of us smarter. So it would be something around that, that can we pick it, pick someone else's brain knowledge and, and, and learn something from people without having to go through the whole sort of process of, of, of failing at it. Yeah, right. It is interesting. Like I was hearing an ad today for, a, it must be a new app or something. And it was essentially a way to sell a product that you have without having to meet someone face to face, which, you know, that's been around for a long time, things like that. But it just made me think how there's so many innovations in technology that are based around not having to deal with human contact, whether it's dating apps, whether it's uh, these e-commerce things. It's it's all kind of based around reducing the effort, taking away any human contact. And I think that kind of touches on uh, what you were saying. Yeah, a little bit. It's just I'm not the most social person in the world, but it's certainly from what I see with technology is that there will be that need for that human contact. That's that's what we have done for millennial, and mm. and and we can't change overnight. We maybe you know we will with AI and everything. I don't know and, <laughs> and virtual reality. But right now, us as a, a species, we need that interaction. Yeah, and we feed off each other. And when you take that away, it leaves a gap in what we should be. Yeah, and even like going back to the the mastermind, the supermind idea i guess you can email back and forth as much as you like but once you sit down and whether it's sharing a meal or having a proper meeting together and looking each other in the eye that's really when you can probably connect and understand each other better and get that result that you really need absolutely yeah 
Yeah. Okay. And so the last question, Ronan, if there was a 2019 blockbuster adaption or adaptation of the Oceanos story, which actor would be portraying Ronan? <laughs> uh, somebody with no hair. Um, <laughs> a 23-year-old with no hair. 12, 20, oh, yes. No, I had hair then. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I'd like to think it would be someone like Gary Oldman, one of my favorite actors, and he would put a lot more menace and a lot more gravitas to what I did. So I'd, I'd like it to, like anything, you know, it's an, it's a, an adaptation. It's not real life. And I, and I think, <laughs> I think Gary Oldman would bring so much more menace to it and, and really create that drama that, yeah. that was lacking, was lacking in my performance. <laughs> a young Gary Oldman. Yeah. We bring him forward with a time machine and, and <laughs> cast him into that film. I mean, I'd watch it. I'm sure it'd be very interesting. And uh, <laughs> even, if you even without dramatizing it would be interesting enough but yeah so thank you for reaching out to me ronan and for coming on here and sharing your years of wisdom i I think that our listeners will have taken at least one great idea that they can apply to whatever they're doing whether it's a business or a podcast or some kind of creative project one idea is all you need just one idea at a time Mm -hmm. thank you johnny thank you for listening and thanks to audio technica the best sound gear in the business you can catch ronan on linkedin how classy he's ronan leonard the mastermind guy if you want to support this show it would be amazing if you could leave a five-star review in itunes if you really want to help us out head over to patreon.com slash we are 8-bit that's a-t-e-b-i-t and that is where from as little as one dollar a month you can support this podcast and many like it in the 8-bit collective and get a whole lot of sweet goodies in return if you'd like to follow me on twitter i'm at johnny himself and until next week keep putting in work